Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to welcome you to the House of Bliss Christmas special. Christmas is truly a special time of year. When I think of Christmas, I think of fuzzy socks, the laughter of children, the sweet yet invasive song of carolers, the soft glow of chipmunks roasting on an open fire. But most of all, I think of the supreme glory of our eight pound, six ounce baby savior, Jesus Henry Christ. Now, you're probably here because you heard about a certain interview with a certain distinguished guest. Well, don't worry. Santa has a whole sleigh full of Yuletide audio surprises for you to enjoy, including an interview with the one and only, the venerable Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. But I'd like to open this Christmas special with the most important thing of all, a fireside reading of my Christmas wish list. Ah, I'm kidding, of course. I mean the story of the birth of Jesus. But before we begin our reading, I'd like to read this ancient liturgical prayer from the patron saint of NASCAR, Ricky Bobby. Dear eight pounds, six ounce newborn baby Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly yet still omnipotent. Thank you for all your power and your grace. Dear baby God, amen. Well, gather around everyone. It's time to read from the Holy Scriptures. But let me just uh, throw another log on the fire here. Ah, that is cozy. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, 
They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you are as unbelievably psyched as I am about our special interview guest, Bill Johnson. So I was all set to call him and get him on the phone, um, but he actually just texted me and said he overslept and is running a bit behind. And uh, as a father of two, I certainly can't blame him. So uh, while we're waiting for Bill to hop on the call, I thought it might be fun to branch out just a little bit and talk about something Christmassy. Now I know a lot of Christians out there make a sharp distinction between the commercial Christmas holiday and the ancient Christian season of Advent, but I really do love this time of year. I personally feel like Buddy the Elf all year long, but the month of December gives me a license to be my happy, joyful self all the time. You know, our culture idolizes this somber, bleak, joyless, materialistic melancholy, except for this time of year. So I will happily jump on any little excuse to celebrate with generous gifts and joyous songs. So pardon me for a minute for allowing myself the indulgence of discussing my favorite Christmas topics. First up tonight, I want to hear from you guys, the audience. Um, I put a question on Facebook, and I promised that I would read some of my favorite answers. And so I asked, what is an alternate use for eggnog? Uh, some of your answers were really um, like clever and practical. Some of them were funny. Others were uh, answers. So let me just share some of my favorites here. Joshua C. says, Cereal, as in replacing milk with eggnog in your morning breakfast. Yeah, so I love that idea in theory, Josh, but I feel like I would be sluggish all day if I actually tried that. Um, Justin K says, Epicac. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, man. Uh, Taylor S says, Hair gel. Hair gel. Sure, uh, I can see the ads on TV now. Eggnog by Kevagel. <laughs> Sorry to my French listeners for that horrible attempt at a French accent. Um, let's move on before I get in more trouble here. Anthony Q says, make Coquito. It is a Puerto Rican rum-spiked coconut cinnamon vanilla extract drink. That is absolutely brilliant. That sounds amazing. Feel free to send me the recipe. Um, Hayden F. says, If you invert the colors, eggnog makes great fake blood for an indie sci-fi film. I love how unbelievably niche that answer is. I will, I will have to try that. 
To be honest, it sounds like something that might come up in the future, so I will tuck that away. Um, a few of you actually said ice cream, and I'm going to have to agree with you. Some others also said pudding, and I'm sorry. I have to draw the line at pudding. I am, I'm, just, I'm just not a pudding guy. I feel like eggnog is thick enough as it is. I just don't feel the need to sludge it up even further. Oh man, my old friend Jake T says salad dressing. Really, Jake? Salad dressing? I'm making a mental note here to never accept salad at Jake's house. Okay, so here's a couple of uh, similar ones. David W says communion. I agree. I mean, it's so thick. It could be the body and the blood. Uh, similarly, Zach H. says, use it for infant baptism so it can renew your baby's body, soul, and Christmas spirit. I think I'm going to have to say that is my favorite answer by far. Good work, Zach. There were uh, plenty more answers, but you can feel free to read that comment thread on my Facebook page. I'll put a link in the description of the episode so you can find it for yourself. And another question I asked that I actually only got one response to uh, was if any of you had a genuine Christmas miracle testimony. And in saying this, I don't mean the miracle of family and warm mittens by the fireside. I mean an actual supernatural act of God that took place on or near Christmas. My listener Keith said, and I'm, I'm just reading his Facebook comment here, two years ago, I was out at the beach doing ministry and worship with a group of friends. A six-foot guy, maybe 270 pounds, comes walking up to me limping hard in sandals. Clearly, he was in extreme pain. I walked up and said, you look like you're in pain and need prayer. He says, yes. Uh, says he had tears in his eyes and he was in 10 out of 10 pain. He said, I just got out of the hospital. They cut the bone out of my foot to make an arch. Wait, hold on. I didn't even know that was a thing. That sounds, why? Why would you do that? Anyway, uh, it says, so I kneeled down and I commanded the pain to go in Jesus' name and be healed. So we checked and it was down to a two on the pain scale. I said, hey, Jesus wants it all to be whole. So let's pray again. After we pray again, he was able to put full pressure on it and was able to walk around normally with pain level zero. All glory to Jesus. And then he says, it, he was so grateful to be healed and to be able to walk and run with his kids. That is awesome. That reminds me of a time I was uh, at Walmart and I met this guy named uh, Cesar and he was uh, walking with a walker because I guess he developed some sort of nerve disease that was like slowly taking away his ability to walk properly. I'm not really sure what that would be. Um... But yeah, I, I actually got a video that I share, you know, every like year or so of him getting healed in Walmart and just being like unbelievably emotional because all of his pain was gone, all of his feeling returned. It is such an awesome feeling. And actually, as I'm sharing these testimonies right now, I'm actually feeling um, the presence of God. You know, the Bible says in the book of Luke, in one instance where Jesus was ministering, it says the power of the Lord was present to heal. And I'm actually feeling that same similar sense that I get when I've seen God move in the past, you know, whether I've been in some sort of healing meeting or whether I'm actually praying for someone myself. 
But if you're listening to this podcast and you are actually uh, experiencing some kind of pain or sickness or disease in your body, I am so thankful that we serve a real and living Jesus and that the Holy Spirit, you know, didn't just retire and turn in his gun and badge at the end of the apostolic age. No, he is still doing miracles. He is still wanting his people to be holy, happy, and healthy. And so if you have any pain or disease in your body right now, I want you to put your hand um, either on the place of pain or, or if that's too weird, just put your hand on your head right now. And I'm just going to invite, whoo, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to manifest his presence to you. Holy Spirit, right now as I'm praying, I pray that you would begin to reveal yourself to the people listening and that right over the airwaves, Lord, your healing power would just begin to manifest. I just release angels right now with assignments of healing. Whoo, yeah. Yeah, I speak to every back, I speak to every ankle, every every nerve, every tendon, every bit of their body that may be out of alignment with your will, with your original design. We just say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bodies be healed in Jesus' name. Be whole in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to take a moment here and rest in that. I feel the Lord moving on this. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I know this is maybe a little bit televangelisty, but I, I'm really specifically sensing like somebody listening to this podcast is experiencing healing and repairing in their shoulders. Um, I feel like it's just it's something where you've lost mobility and you're experiencing just pain from uh Anytime you try to move your arms around. And so I, I feel like the Lord's just repairing that and restoring right that right now. Whew, thank you, Lord. Well, anyway, that was all totally spontaneous. I was not planning on doing that, but thank you, Keith, for sending in that powerful testimony and uh, just opening up that can of healing sauce right there. Um, (laughs) Man, that was fun. I can feel the glory of God right now, but why don't we go ahead and take a little break, and uh, while you guys enjoy some Christmas music, I'm going to go ahead and uh, check in on Bill and see if he's ready for the interview. So, um, 
I checked in with Bill and apparently something urgent came up. I guess he's um, had his eye on a herd of exotic Alaskan turtles and he had to make sure that no one outbid him on eBay because the auction is ending in a few minutes. So <laughs> I guess in the meantime, um, I'd like to just share a few words about the mystery of Christmas. Traditionally, I can be quite long-winded, so I'm going to do my best to keep this nice and brief so that we can leave uh, plenty of space for Bill whenever he's ready. But when we talk about the birth of little baby infant Jesus, so many of us are inclined to view it as a sort of stop along the way to salvation. You know, as if the good stuff happened at the cross, the resurrection, or, you know, if you're a Pentecostal, at the mighty arrival of the Holy Ghost. But the early church knew that it was on that silent night in the arms of a girl named Mary that the course of human history shifted forever. There are endless volumes of revelation communicated by the simple fact that the God of the universe became a baby. But in order to see it, we might need to change our perspectives a little bit. When we talk about the incarnation, which um, if you're not typically a churchgoer, is just the fancy word for something spiritual becoming something physical, we often talk about it in such a cerebral way. Like we think of the great truths of Christianity as doctrines, creeds, scriptures, and theological dissertations. We think about a lot of words. But how many of you know that actions speak so much louder than words? It's why children with overly busy parents often go through life trying to earn affection with impressive achievements. Why? Because their parents may say, I love you. But their absence communicates, my attention is something that needs to be earned. Actions speak louder than words. It's why people distrust politicians. It's why every happy marriage needs, well, action. <laughs> We've all experienced this principle. That there is this whole realm of communication that doesn't involve words. And so this is exactly why the Word of God became flesh and lived among us. I want you to take a good, long look at baby Jesus and tell me what you see. What do you hear in God's actions? Well, since I'm the captain of this podcast ship, I'm going to tell you what I see. Firstly, that God actually likes humans. For one reason or another, we get it in our heads that God would rather hang out in heaven than be here with us. For some, it might be the old religious lie that we're just too sinful. Oh, that God is absolutely morally pure and he simply can't stomach being around dirty sinners. Well, back in Jesus' day, this is exactly what the religious bigwigs taught. Um... There's stories about how these religious leaders used to walk around with blindfolds to shield their eyes from the impurity of the commoners. And they would take it so far that if they ever got close to somebody who was deemed undesirable, they would actually shout, unclean, so that anybody walking by them would know to avoid them. And by doing this, they genuinely thought that they were representing God. But how did they get to this conclusion? 
Well, they got there by misunderstanding the written words of God. But when God actually showed up himself and walked around, well, what did he do? He went straight for the folks who were utterly rejected and cast aside by society. The thieves, prostitutes, beggars, underclass. He befriended them and treated them like family. He poured his time and energy into loving and restoring the unlovable. And he even trusted them and commissioned them to proclaim his message. To this very day, many of us are fed this line that holiness is separation from sinfulness. But that's just not what we see in the actions of Jesus Christ. So either Jesus isn't holy or our definition of holy is wrong. You see, contrary to popular belief, our sinfulness doesn't repel God from us any more than sickness repels a doctor from their patient. Instead, our darkness was the very thing that stirred the holy compassion of God and caused him to come closer than we can ever imagine. And this is how baby Jesus saves us. By becoming human, God merged himself with us in order to restore us. When we, his lost children, were sick and tired, and sick and tired of being sick and tired, the Father ran to us in mercy. St. Gregory of Nazian, Nazianza, Nazian, <laughs> used to say that whatever God assumes, he heals. Meaning, Jesus didn't just solve our problems by forgiving our sins. That would be an outside solution, but it wouldn't ultimately do anything about the sinful condition inside of us. But Jesus also solved the problem from the inside. By becoming a human, he permanently absorbed the human race into himself in order to transfer his divine virtue into us. St. Athanasius famously wrote that God became man in order that man would become God. Now, don't stone me. That's not to say that we are God in the same way that he is, as in like uncreated, eternal, and in charge of all things. But what happens is we, we have become the dependent partakers of his very own divine nature. One helpful way to think of it is to picture an hourglass. I want to read to you this absolutely hammer-drunk quote from Brian Zond. In his book, Beauty Will Save the World, he writes, Think of an hourglass, two spheres, one full, the other empty, but they are connected at a single point. It is at that single point that the fullness of one sphere flows into the emptiness of the other. Jesus Christ, as God and man, is the single point where the sphere of divinity and the sphere of humanity connect. It is what we mean when we say Jesus Christ is fully human and fully God. It is through the single point of connection between the two spheres that emptiness becomes fullness. As the Apostle John says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And then he continues, he says, the limitation of the hourglass illustration is that the contents of the, of the upper heavenly sphere are finite, and in time, 
like presumably an hour, it will be emptied. But the heavenly sphere of the divine is infinite and eternal. So that as God pours himself into humanity through the singularity of Christ, we receive fullness while God is never diminished. As Gregory the Great said in the 6th century, In the mystery of the incarnation, God increases what is ours without ever diminishing what is his. What is it that is poured into humanity through the connecting point of the incarnation? Life. Eternal life. So when we gaze at little chubby-cheeked baby Jesus, we see that God's holiness didn't drive him away from us. No, the exact opposite happened. He locked himself in prison with us and threw away the key. Now, thankfully, he was about to explode the entire prison from the inside out, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Okay, but another way that this idea that God doesn't like to be around humans kind of sneaks in is by thinking that normal, natural, everyday life is a barrier to experiencing God. Like all this earthly stuff is a mere distraction from the important spiritual stuff like prayer, church services, or revival. One of my favorite theologians, C. Baxter Kruger, wrote about how as a boy, he was raised with this false dichotomy between the seemingly faceless, all-powerful God of Christian catechisms and the inherent, beautiful, wonderful bliss of life itself. And the term he uses for that, that sort of general joy that we get by just enjoying life, he calls that the great dance. And that's also the title of the book that I'm reading from. So let me read this quote to you. It is this God, this severely abstract divinity that created the dilemma for me. On the one side, I knew about the river, the joy, the great dance. On the other side, I knew that it was related to God. But the bewildering question was, how could this be? How could this abstract, this infinite, distant, austere omni-being be connected to the great dance in any way at all? This God was certainly in control, absolutely so, down to the last molecule. But this God had no face, no real personality, no life. So how could glorifying God be related to the enjoyment of anything? This was the riddle of my youth and of my life. Two other facets deepen the riddle. The first was the nature of Sunday morning worship. I always assumed that the threshold of the church was charged with some kind of mystical power of transformation because everyone who crossed it decisively changed. Our personalities were altered. Outside, there were smiles and laughter and humanity, but once we crossed the threshold, every one of us went into religious autopilot. It was very noticeable even to a young boy. The threshold could silence the most boisterous of us, and I suppose even whap the smile off a possum. He's a southern guy, if you couldn't tell from that. And uh, I don't know what it is about this episode and me uh, doing really bad accents. I'm sorry. But anyway, skipping ahead a little bit, he says about religious people, their presence alone could change people. Their presence could shut down laughter and stifle the best of parties. Whatever the highly committed religious types were, it was very clear to me that they did not have much of that invisible river about them. They certainly knew a lot about the Bible, and they talked frequently about God, 
but they didn't know much about the great dance or how to live in it. The God of my youth was the supreme, all-powerful being with no face and no personality. Now, I love the honesty of this quote, because if you've ever been around a stifling church culture, you know exactly what he's talking about. But thankfully, this vision of God is blown apart by the adorable baby belly of our dear little infant baby Jesus. Let's consider for a moment what Jesus actually did while he was walking around on our very own soil. According to the text, God was happy to live a normal human life. God in flesh spent about 90% of his time on earth learning, eating and drinking, working, enjoying family, playing, praying, going to synagogue. Isn't it kind of odd to you that he didn't even get down to the world-saving ministry stuff until the last three years of his life? Now, obviously, he lived a consecrated life, He was a person of prayer who would spend long hours fellowshipping with the Father, learning the scriptures, and of course he knew what his life was building up to. I'm not denying that, but I'm simply saying that Jesus had such a full and holistic approach to human living. You know, he, he didn't see his carpentry as divorced from his crucifixion. And so by choosing to live and work and eat and cry and enjoy life as one of us, he effectively baptized every facet of life on earth with his own divinity. He erased the line between secular and sacred because when God came to earth, all ground became holy ground. Let's back it up a little bit. Adam was placed in a garden and was given the command that's often translated tend and keep. But in Hebrew, these are the exact same words that were given to the priests in the book of Exodus as they ministered in the tabernacle. So they essentially mean to work and to worship. Furthermore, Genesis is full of um, architectural language suggesting that when God first created Eden, He was building it as a temple. And so it all kind of carries with it this idea that the earth is the Lord's temple and we are its priests and all of this thing called life is all holy and it takes place in his presence. So when Jesus Christ became a son of Adam, he showed us that God never pulled the plug on his original vision. Jesus recovered the mission that Adam lost. God lovingly spoke, it is very good, and that original blessing never lifted. (sighs) Now, I know that you're all dying to hear from Bill Johnson, so I'll, I'll just close with this thought before I check in with him again. The Bible says that Jesus had more joy than all of his companions. His first ever miracle was to supernaturally enhance a party by turning water into wine. Children were always drawn to him. Like, have you ever tried to get children to do something that's not fun? And so what that tells me is there was something compelling and fun about Jesus. So no more can we think of God in terms of a faceless spirit in space. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
to see Jesus walking among the wheat fields and embracing his mother and cooking his disciples breakfast on the beach is to see God himself fully engaged in redeeming and blessing all the things that make us human. We begin to see that humanity was perfectly crafted to house his divinity. There's this mind-blowing verse in Colossians that says, In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So somehow, infinity finds a comfortable expression within physicality. As Francois Dutoit says in the Mirror Bible, he says, Your body need never again be an excuse for an inferior expression of the Christ life. So may you see that God is near to you when you pray, when you worship, when you light candles, when you read the scriptures. He delights in those things. But he's also near to you when you exchange gifts and sing goofy songs and eat chocolate and hug your family and watch Christmas movies. He delights in those things too because you are a visible, physical expression of his invisible love. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So may you feel his pleasure over your Christmas celebrations And may everything you do be filled with a holy wonder at the realization that in him you live and move and have your being. That is what I see when I look at dear little chubby holy baby Jesus. Great news, everyone. I'm finally on the line with Bill the Wrecking Ball Johnson, a.k.a. Turtleneck, a.k.a. 007 Pancake, a.k.a. The Dynamite Bicep. And uh, he apologizes for the delay. He says he's um, he's just having one of those days. Um, actually, he said he had a very sensitive situation to deal with, and I don't want to reveal too many details uh, because I don't want to cause him any embarrassment, but let's just say it involves a donut, a paperclip, some scuba gear, an antique scale model of the Sphinx, 1300 DVD copies of Lethal Weapon 4, and a pair of ripped pants. Now, I promised that I wouldn't overshare, but I think you can connect the dots for yourself. So I've got just a couple of quick technical things to sort out to get this interview all nice and ready. So in the meantime, I'm going to cut to a quick commercial break. But when we come back, I will have for you Bill Johnson on the line. Stay tuned. Well, hey, all you Christmas shoppers. If you love getting gifts, shout amen. Amen. But just as our Lord taught us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, what if I told you there's a way to do both at the same time? Tell us more! You see, each year, my good friend Justin Beard painstakingly curates a playlist of the choicest Christmas music from around the web. He has a real knack for finding hidden gems in every genre ranging from meh, 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 new wave, folk, and more. 
So if you're tired of the same old canned top 40 cookie cutter Toyota Sienna commercial background music garbage, well then you absolutely want to put this in your organic audio receptacles. Your ears. Now you may be wondering, how exactly is that giving? Well, buckle up, put on your helmet, because I'm about to drop an information icicle right on your noggin. You see, for every like that this playlist gets on Spotify, Justin will be donating $25 to the Kenyan Children's Project. All you've got to do is go to the description of this episode, smack that link, which will take you right over to Spotify, grab your boxing glove, and smash that like button. And just so you know, this fundraiser ends on the 25th of December, Christmas Day, so get on over there and smash that like button. And just in case you have any further questions about what this charity is or where this money is going, I will also include a link to the Kenyan Children's Project website. everybody thanks so much for tuning in thanks for your patience i am unbelievably excited because i have a real treat for you today i can say without a doubt that there is no one alive today who has had a greater impact on my walk with god than this man that i have here on the phone uh, your teachings on healing, the presence of God, or divine sonship, the power of worship, I can't even imagine what life would be like if I hadn't run across these books and teachings. And so it is a real honor and privilege to introduce you all to Pastor Bill Johnson, Senior Leader of Bethel Church in Redding, California. That's stupid. That's just dumb. Uh... I'm I'm not really sure how to respond to that, Bill. Are you saying you think my show is stupid? Yeah, times a billion. Uh, huh. Well, normally you emphasize speaking life and bringing constructive criticism. Like, is there is there anything nice you have to say? Like, is there any advice you have for me to improve the show? It's good for nothing. It needs to be thrown out. Well, I, I want to try to bring some sort of a conclusion to this. Bill, you don't really sound like yourself. Is everything okay? I, I don't, for me, there's not been a weirder season in my life. You know, time flies, except when you're in a pandemic. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I, I really am genuinely sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, times times have been real tough for a lot of people this year. But, um, well, hey, I, I see pictures of you and your wonderful family from time to time on Instagram. So either they're photoshopped or they're dead. Okay. Well, how about we just skip the personal chit-chat and move on to the interview? So what's the good word, Bill? Do you, do you have anything you want to talk to us about? Salt. Salt? Yes. 
Are you still there, Bill? Yes. Uh, so what about salt has been speaking to you? The nature of salt is it needs to be sprinkled evenly over the whole meal. <laughs> it's not complicated. Right. Take the salt shaker, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents in the corner of the plate. I see. Um, well, I was actually hoping maybe we could talk about healing or something. Um, I'm actually doing a series. Oh, I can feel the, the burden. I can feel the weightiness mm -hmm. of the Lord on this subject. Mm -hmm. He focuses his energy, if you will, his purposes, his workings in our life every moment of every day to take the salt shaker, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents in the corner of the plate. Go shazam. Doesn't that seem a little excessive to you? I mean, couldn't you just use a bit less salt? That's, that's, uh, helps me. Just trust me. Work with me here. Huh. Well, you're certainly giving me lots of food for thought, Bill. No, 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 no. Don't be, don't, don't be stupid. Don't, don't try to make it in by the skin of your teeth. Well, you're not exactly being very clear here. I'm just trying to keep things light. But that's not my assignment. Just think this through with me. What this pandemic has done is it's forced us to take the salt shaker, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents in the corner of the plate. Okay, I think I understand. I understand this is important to you. But with the pandemic going on, doesn't this issue seem a little bit peripheral to you? Like, don't you think ministering is a little bit more important than salty food? This is not a side issue. This is the core issue. It's all about salt. It's not complicated. Just think this through with me. I gather with a friend of mine. We both take the salt shaker, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents in the corner of the plate. Go shazam. Okay. So I think I'm understanding. It's, it sounds a bit like you're saying that you've expanded your definition of church to include sharing your possessions with others. Is that right? Shazam. All right. Shazam. Now we're getting somewhere. Well, hey, what else has been on your heart lately, Bill? Salt. <sighs> you want to keep talking about salt? I know we've been over this before, but but I have the mic, so. The nature of salt is it needs to be sprinkled evenly over the whole meal. Take the salt shaker, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents in the corner of the plate. Go shazam. Shazam. Well, growing up, my grandpa always used to dump, um, like, the entire shaker of black pepper on his meals. But it sounds like you're saying that the whole plate should just be white with salt. Yeah. Times a billion, whiter than any launderer can make it. Interesting. Well, I, I want to try to bring some sort of a conclusion to this. Okay. I, I probably could have shared what I shared today in five minutes, because all I really have to say is take the salt shaker, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents in the corner of the plate. Go shazam. Okay, shazam. Uh, well, thanks for sharing. Um, do you have any non-salt-related wisdom to share with the audience? If you're in the car, don't stand. Unless you pull over or something. Amen. 
That is a fantastic reminder. Well, Bill, um, this has been really uh, enlightening, and I just want to thank you so much for everything you shared. Uh, but to, to be honest here, it doesn't really seem that you like me very much, and it kind of feels like you might have some kind of beef with me. I mean, you were super late, and uh, you just kind of spent the whole time talking about salt. You called my podcast stupid. I mean, it, it, it feels like there's something between us. I mean, am I wrong here? Yes. Thankfully, that's changing, and we're learning. Oh, okay. Okay, good. I mean, I'm glad to hear there's nothing between us. Maybe I was just being a little paranoid there. I don't know. I, I guess maybe I just don't take sarcasm that well. I'm thinking really good thoughts about you. Oh, well, thanks, Bill. I, I needed to hear that. And it's about your, it's about your welfare. It's actually about your prosperity. <laughs> That's very kind of... I, I daydream about you. Uh, thanks, I guess. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I really don't want this to end, but it is about that time. So thank you so much for taking the busy time out of your day uh, to have such a relevant and insightful discussion. And I learned a lot, and um, I, I, really, uh, I really hope that our paths cross again soon. I will make sure that I'm in the middle of whatever road you're walking down. <laughs> All right, buddy, you take care. Shazam. Shazam, my friend. All right, okay. Well, that was not what I was expecting. <laughs> it was a little bit weird and confusing. But you know what else has been a little bit weird and confusing? This entire year. I, like many of you, went into 2020 with the highest of expectations. I had plans for days. I was ready to get after it. And what we actually got was, uh, well, a big strange mess to be honest but i i want to i want to leave you with this house of bliss 2020 christmas special i want to leave you with an invitation you see when new year's comes around what we all like to do is make our lists of uh resolutions and goals and there's always kind of this mentality of like well there's always next year that's going to be my year this is going to be my year but i just want to remind you that the joy of Christmas, that the true gospel is the announcement that Jesus has saved the world, that Jesus has it in the bag, and that ultimately the government, um, our lives, our, the, the light and the joy in our lives is not ultimately on our shoulders to carry, but it's on His. And so all jokes aside, I just want to leave you with a reading of one of my all-time favorite passages of scripture, the prophecy of the birth of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9. And as I read this to you, I want you to think about the swirl of 2020, the pressure, the fighting, all of the mixed signals and mixed arguments, all of that stuff that's kind of been swirling around in our hearts and minds this year. I want you to hear these words afresh and really let them wash over you. And not just be eloquent words on a page, but that they would actually cause a fresh fire of hope to brew in your spirit. So here it is. 
the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And all the people trying as hard as they can will accomplish this. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. It says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I know what 2020 felt like for most of us this year, but I just want to remind you of the straight gospel truth that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It says there will be no end of the increase of those things. So 2020 was full of more of the government of God than 2019 and 2021. We can expect even more of the government of God and of peace. So let's set our hopes on that. I hope you have an amazing Merry Christmas. I bless you. I bless your families. I bless your time together. And yes, I bless your 2021. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs>